Today is the November 7th, 2021 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled Abraham and the Jewish People. If you would like to give to our sermon audio ministry, please press the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Our Father, you, you guide us, you love us, you lead us, you protect us, you provide for us, and we owe you everything. We owe you our praise, our gratitude, our glory, and our very lives. We pray this morning that as we hear your word, you would remind us again of just how much you love us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Glad you all could make it to Hope Bible Church and be with us today. Absolutely beautiful day, isn't it? This is one of those picture-perfect days. I'm thankful to the Lord for the weather. We have really about, I look at it, six, seven good months of really good weather. So anyway, we are here. Our name is Hope Bible Church. I want to just mention that word Bible. Uh, we teach from the Bible. We teach from the Word of God. Throughout the years, I'm not sure if I really think about it much, but what helps me is I just believe this is true. I, I, I don't question it. I, I read it. It's true. I believe it. And that really helps. Those who don't believe it are hurt. There's no doubt. I mean, what, what a blessing that we have the Word of God. And during this age, as you know, you know, was it print and press, Gutenberg, Gutenberg Press back in whatever it was? We have the Word of God. A long time ago, they didn't have the Word like we do, so we should be very blessed. We have all the different apps we have. We have no, no reason not to listen, not to read the Word of God. So thankful for that. We're going through the first part of Genesis. We're doing this because it contains basic, essential truths for us as Christians. Is what we need for our lives to live the way that God wants. And it also helps us to understand the rest of the Bible. You don't understand this part of Genesis. The rest doesn't make as much sense. We've talked about a number of things here, and I want to sum up just briefly, just in the first few minutes, what we've talked about so far. We talked about in Genesis 1 how God created mankind, and, and he created the whole world. This is essential, that you understand that God made you. Secondly, we talked about how God created man in his image, and that, that mankind is special to God, but to God by far the most important creation. I, we, we look at the crime around here and why do people hurt people? Why do people kill people? We're made in God's image. Thirdly, we talked about how God created us as male and female. A lot of recent talk in the last few years about all these different genders. God never talks about gender. Um, you know, they even have this gender fluid. You can be one gender one day, another gender the next day. So, oh, this doesn't make sense, and it doesn't. It doesn't. We need to believe what God says. God says there is male and female, and that's it. We take God at his word. We talk about how marriage is between a man and a woman. This is all Genesis 1 and 2, marriage between man and woman. And, and, and that eliminates any idea about man marrying man or woman marrying woman. And In fact, just a few chapters later, go to Genesis 19. You know what Genesis 19 is about? God destroys, obliterates with fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah. And one of their primary sins was, was homosexuality. It's sort of like an exclamation point. Yep, this is the way it is, you guys. This is what I believe. This is what's true and right. Talk about how God wants man and woman to populate the entire earth. There's a lot of, and they may not be in your circle, but there's a lot of 
ideas about how we need to have less people and depopulate the earth, and that is just not what God says, and that's nonsense. In fact, what I'm really intrigued by is in the next age is the kingdom age, when Christ reigns and we reign with him over the world, I want to know how many people are going to be on the earth at that time. That'll be something to interest. By the time we get to the end of that age, you know, a thousand years, well, how many people are here? But um, God wants us to populate the earth. We also learn, this is the sad part, that Adam and Eve sinned. They pass on their sin to all mankind, and this sin must be punished by God. We start right away in, in Genesis 4 with Cain. He killed his brother Abel. God punished him. We move, that's one person. We move to Genesis 6, and the whole world was sinned against God in a very great and grievous way, and God punished the world all except Noah and his family. But, but, Genesis 3, God promised man a redeemer who defeats sin, death, and the de devil, and enable people then to be righteous in the sight of God. And from the seed of the woman, there'd be all these descendants, and finally would come one who's the Messiah. We know this to be the Christ, Jesus Christ, who'd save man from his sin. What we also see in these chapters, again, just summing up a few main points, is that God always had a remnant of people who were believers, always. These were ones who were saved, and God would work through his remnant. That's just the way it is, and the remnant's always in the minority. Even these days, we as Christians, we are in the minority. We're a remnant, okay? Throughout the world, we're, we're the minority. That's just the way it is. It's many are called, but few are chosen. Ga examples of this. There was Abel, there was Seth, there was Enoch, there was Noah. And Shem, some of the key figures who were part of this remnant that I'm talking about here. But today we're coming to Genesis chapter 11. And just two more sessions here on this Genesis summary here. But Genesis chapter 11, we're going to talk about Abraham. He was a key figure in God's historical and spiritual working with man. A key figure in, in, in terms of bringing redemption to people in this world. And of all the people who had lived in the world, because you have all these people, you see all these different list of people in these chapters. And of all the people who lived in the world up to that time, it comes down to Abraham, it funnels to him, it points to this one person, one chosen by God now to be his special instrument, his special servant. Abram, also called Abraham, was very important then in God's plan. In God's plans with the Jews, and in God's plans with the coming of the Messiah, and also in God's plans with us, the church. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 to 32. Genesis chapter 11. I just want to read these last few verses here. This is where we start to focus on Abram, whose name is changed to Abram later on. It says, Terah, verse 26, Terah lived 70 years, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generation of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarah was born. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Abram. We have these details, just a few, not a lot, but just a few details about Abram's life. And God wants us to give us a picture and understand that. He also wants you to know, broadening from that, God knows all the details for every person in the whole world. History, past, clear up to the future. All the details 
of your life. And God's going to carry out all his plans for this planet Earth and for his people and for each one of you. That's what he's going to do. You need to see that. He's working with one man here named Abram, and he's working with each of us. That's one of the, one of the themes for this morning's message that I'll weave in as we go through this time that God works with his people. Throughout the Bible, we see how God works through individual people, that God works at a specific time and over the course of time, carrying out his plans through his people for his purposes and for his glory. God's plans of working is historical. He works through people over time, step by step and day by day, his plans unfolding, his plans being fulfilled through the years and through the centuries and through the millennia. Even that song, Daniel 2, I love those verses we sang. Wonderful. That truth in Daniel 2, 20, 21, and 2 is phenomenal, important for us to take to heart. So here's God then working through Abraham and his descendants. This working starts in Genesis. goes clear through to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. And I told you a couple weeks ago, that's 99% of the Old Testament. is is really centered around Abram, Abraham, and his descendants. So you can see what happens. You have all this stuff going on, Genesis 1 through 11. Then we come to Abraham. 99% of the Old Testament is, is centered around him. Amazing. And so we see God's working, his purposes and his plans then being fulfilled. Turn to Psalm 92. Just talk briefly here about God's work. We, we talk a lot about the importance of God's word. And it is absolutely essential. It's also important as Christians that we understand God's work. And of course, God's work is in conjunction with his word. You can't separate what God does from, from, from what his truth is, what he says here in his word. But the work of God's important as we read it in the Bible also, the work of God's important because God's working in your hearts. He's working in your life, no doubt about it. We start at verse Verse 4, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. Verse 5, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. His works are great. As, as you know, we live in a world, we live in a culture where, what's man doing? You know, people write up what they're doing on their Facebook or their Instagram or whatever, you know, and I'm not saying you can't do that a little bit, but Hey, we should highlight not what we do, rather what is God doing. Turn to Psalm 111, this whole chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing. I believe Jeff read this recently, but we need to read it again. It was one of our readings a few Sundays ago. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice and his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. This psalm endures a whole teaching. There's so much in here. But I just want to sum up a couple of things. We see that it's talking about the works of God. They're great. And it talks about how you should study them. 
It's very important. I think whether it's the works of God we see in the Word of God or whether it's the works of God is in your life or the lives of people around you. What is God doing? How is God working? So important that we think about this. But we, we read here, and his greatest work, it comes down to verse 9. Read about his work of feeding people. But verse 9, he sent redemption to his people. There's this word covenant. We see that God makes a covenant. Covenant or a promise with Abraham that he's going to work with him and, and, and bless him and carry out his plans of redemption through him and his descendants. That's what we're seeing. But look what it says here. He has ordained his covenant forever. God's promises are forever. That's, that's, that's a huge word there. So important. Go back to Genesis 12. And let's start going through Genesis here and see specifically, because we just read that God made this promise of redemption to, to Abraham. Well, what does it say then? And, and let me say this, and I'll probably mention this later, is this, that whole truth of God promising and making these covenants to his people is seen throughout the Old Testament, really throughout the Bible. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Genesis 12, 1, and, 1 to 3 rather. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I want to mention a few things here, but there's really a lot to be said, but just a few things for this morning. First, we see that God communicates to, to Abraham. And this is what God does is, is in life. There are sometimes God just does things completely apart from people. God doesn't need us. He can do whatever he wants completely apart from us. But the way God works is he wants to work through people. We see here that he communicates to Abraham. We see that we understand that Abraham is a, is a godly man, and God uses godly men and women. That's what he does. That's the way it works. That's just how God is. And he, and he communicates through them, and he works through them, and and they are ones who are his spokesmen. I like Amos 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. God wants to work through his people. First, what happens, God tells Abraham to move, to leave his hometown, to go to another place. And this is, I think, eight, 900 miles away. This wasn't just some little short jaunt, you know, from another 10 miles or even 100 miles. It was a long ways away. And, and this wouldn't have been easy. As you all know, we get used to where we live. We get used to where we work. We get used to where we shop. We get used to being with the people that we're with, family, friends, relatives. That's what happens. But God says, move. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. Usually, if you move someplace, we have all the means these days to you know, put things up on the computer. You know exactly where we're going. It all figured out, you know. He didn't know. He didn't know where he was going. Didn't know what the food was like, the people like, the climate was like. He went to a place he didn't know where he was going. God then makes this extremely, some extremely important promises to Abraham. And I'm going to go over them just briefly here. Ones that are foundational for much of what God does in the future, in the Old Testament times, in the New Testament times, and in the ages to come. What happens to him, what is said here, relates to the rest of eternity. These promises are also called the Abrahamic covenant. This word covenant is a word that just means promise. That is, God is making some promises to Abraham. 
And so what are these? Let's go through these. First, he says he'll make Abraham into a great nation, that through his descendants, through his lineage, there would be this great nation. It's the nation of Israel. And we saw that during the Old Testament time. Not that they are great for that whole 1,400, 1,500 years, but there were times, particularly the time of David's psalm, they were the greatest nation in the world. Make him into a great nation. And, of course, we're seeing it again in our day. There's about an 1,800 gap from 70 A.D. to the 1880s when when the Jews started coming back to Israel from being scattered all over the world. And so they're back in their land now. We have Israel. It's named Israel. It's a nation. Same name it had back in the Old Testament, you know, a long time ago. But we'll see the greatness and the glory of this nation much, much more so in the future. For that's when these promises, so many promises here and many other places in the Old Testament will be fulfilled in amazing ways, in wonderful ways, and, and, and in fact, we'll be part of that. And particularly so, we'll see these promises fulfilled during the millennial kingdom age. You, you cannot properly understand the Old Testament. I'm not going to take time. Um, I've written a number of things on this already, but you, you can't really understand the Old Testament unless you understand the fulfillment of so many promises in the Bible that relate to the kingdom age. Particularly, we're going to see that in, in the book of Isaiah. Many other places, though. And I'll mention a few verses here. Uh, go to Psalm 67. Just want to read these. Just give you a little, uh, just a little taste of this. Psalm 67 of God blessing them. You have to understand the Old Testament is is written relative to the Jews. So when you read certain words, well, that relates to the Jews. We come down to Psalm 67, 7. 67, 7. God blesses us. So who's the us? It's the Jews. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. This psalm all relates to the millennial kingdom. This is future. I'm not saying you can't take verses from these and here and apply them to life. This is future. Millennial kingdom. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Happened a little bit back in the Old Testament. It's going to happen a lot more in the future. Next verse, turn to um, Psalm 117. Similar. Psalm 117, the shortest psalm on the source. Well, maybe the shortest chapter, I think. It's right in the middle of the Bible. I don't know if it's exactly, but it's right there in the middle. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. So who is he saying? Praise the Lord, all the nations. Verse 2. Pardon? Verse 2. His loving kindness is great toward us, the Jews. The truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. One more. Psalm 98. And you see this all over the, all over the Old Testament. You just can't miss it. Once you understand this. Psalm 98 is, is, is future. Has two things in it about the salvation of the Jews at the end times. Then God blessing them and the whole world. Psalm 98 1. It's a song we sing. And I hope we understand it as you sing it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. What is that? The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Verse 3. The result that the whole, all the world, all the nations see it. You see, the same, same thought. Same thought. God's going to make them a great nation, and they're going to be a blessing then to all the other nations of the world. That's, that's what he's saying. Back to Genesis 12. And again, that, that subject right there, we could spend weeks on that one subject right there. God blessing the Jews, blessing then to the rest of the world. Second, 
He's talking to make a great nation. Second, he's going to bless Abraham. He's going to cause good things and positive things and important things and wonderful things to happen to Abraham through his descendants. And these blessings that we're going to talk about, I'm going to use these words a number of times here in the next few minutes. These blessings are both physical and they're both spiritual. Spiritual and physical blessings. Now, there are some people, a lot of people really, in a lot of churches, and good churches all over the world that don't believe that that promises God made to the Jews are true for the future, okay? I don't believe that. And I can, in fact, I'm going to share some things more on that next week because they are true. And, and I'll even share a couple of things today that make them true. But they're physical and they're spiritual. And these blessings are for a long time, not just for a few years, but for thousands and thousands of years and for all eternity. That's what we're seeing here. That's what's setting up here. This is the way God worked. He wanted to work through a nation. He wanted to work through this person called Abram, and that's exactly what he is doing. Third, Abram will have a great name. I think you all know this, but for the Jewish people, Abraham was their spiritual father. For us as Christians, we'll see this in a few minutes in, in Galatians 3, um, Romans 4, is he's our spiritual father too. He's also the spiritual father for the Muslims. You knew that, right? You know where things diverge? You got to Abraham. Abraham, two, two main sons, Ishmael and Isaac, right? We follow the line of Isaac, right? Muslims follow the line of Ishmael. But they, they like Abraham. They like him. So he's got a great name. Fourth, God will be a blessing to others. These Jews be a blessing to others. This relates to the, the, this second part of the promise. That is, God blesses Abraham, and through him, billions of people, and I mean billions of people throughout history, then will be blessed in both physical and spiritual ways, and God then is the one who is the source of these blessings. But God works through people. That's what I've been saying, and that's what we're seeing right here. God's working through the life of Abraham. And the one thing you do when you want to read the Bible is, is you want to think, and I said this before, but just to make it a little more clear. You want to think, how is God working through this person? You read the Bible, and there's all kinds of people. And, and just, man, person after person, godly people, and some ungodly. How is God working through these people? Ask yourself that question because it's instructional. It's encouraging, but it's also instructional. The other thing is this, and we, we live, and, and you all know what biographies are. A lot of good Christian biographies. And I was thinking about this this morning, that how important it is for us to be ones who are reading on really a, at least a semi-regular basis, biographies. In fact, what I'm going to do, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I just had this thought, and I'm going to put together just a, a list of some good biographies. They're easy to order. A lot of you get things on Amazon. I mean, it's just so easy. You, know, you order one day, you get it the next day or the second day or whatever. There's a lot of good biographies. And in general, I would encourage you always to be reading a biography. Maybe you're a slow reader. Read one every two months, but read them. Maybe you read one a week. But they are so encouraging. And then they speak to your own heart. Because, wow, that's the kind of thing that's happening in, in, in my life. So God is working, and he works through people. And we see this throughout history. And God then wants to bless your life. Okay, I'm just a couple of examples here. He wants to bless your life so you can be a blessing to others. It's not just about you. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. That is, God wants you to be a means of his blessing, primarily in spiritual ways. God wants his goodness and his mercy 
God wants his, his, his kindness and his love. He wants his forgiveness and his truth then to be seen in your life by others. The result then that they'll be encouraged and instructed and, 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 and not just this life, but for all eternity. That is, we have a work, and this is an amazing truth, that the work we do has eternal effects. People work here in this world and they're thinking I'm making money for this or this or that. Now, our work goes way beyond this world. It's such a wonderful truth thing that God can use you and work through you in, in people's lives. And even that verse, and I'll, I'll just share this, is probably 40 years ago. I was 82, maybe 83. That verse in Psalm 67, 7, I took for myself. God wants to bless me so that my life then will affect lives of people all over the world. I mean, and, and, and we don't understand it. You know, you, the old Wonderful Life movie, a lot of you have seen that. You know how, what's his name? George, George Bailey. How God worked through him in ways he didn't even know about. Okay. So you always have to understand this, the ripple effect, that you touch one person's life, whether it's a small way, whether it's just a one-time thing, or whether it's you know, over the course of years, that person affects others, who affects others, who affects others. So have that concept. Lord, I'm, I'm really a nobody, but, but you said you can use me. And so work through me, because oftentimes, you know, probably the majority of people in this world, even as Christians, think, we're, think they're nobodies. And we shouldn't think that way. We're somebody. We're God's child, and he wants to work through us. Now, a key point here, and I've shared this before, but 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every Christian needs to see it is his responsibility to use the spiritual gift that God has given him for the sake of others. You may say you don't know it. Some ways, you need to know it. Eh, I think it helps. But even if you don't, you're involved with Christians. You're involved in a, ch a church or Spending time in fellowship, your gift will come out. It will. If you love God, if you love people, if you love his word, your gift will come out. Employ your gift in serving others. That's one of the major ways. And I've said this before. Billy Graham's spiritual gift was what? Evangelism. We all know it. John MacArthur's gift, teaching. That's how God's using them. That's it. Mine's teaching. I'm not an evangelist, okay? I'm, I do share the gospel, but my gift really is teaching. So use the gift that God has given you. That's what he wants. It might be just a little gift of helps. It might be faith. You sit out there and think, well, I don't do much. Well, what's faith mean? That means you can pray. That may be the main thing. We know the story of Anna, Luke chapter 2. What did she do? Pray day and night. That was her gift, faith, and she used it. And she also shared the word, too. She was a prophetess of sorts. We understand, too, we continue back to Genesis 12. In verses 1 to 3, we understand that, no way we're at. No, going to Genesis 13. Now, this promise that God gives to Abraham is very, very important. It is so important that it is repeated and expanded on many places. What Steve read in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15, is all about the Abrahamic covenant. That's it. And then the rest goes from there. It's all about it. So we're just going to look at a few verses. Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all about this covenant, repeated and expanded, repeated and expanded. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. It's just time and time and time again because it's so important. So here we go. Genesis 13, 14 to 17. 
verse 13, interesting, I mentioned this. The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Then you got the remnant, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place for you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which you see I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Get that one phrase? How long? Forever. There are some that say, well, these, these promises are no good anymore because the Jews, they killed Christ back around 33 AD and they killed Christ and therefore their promises that God gave them are null and void. Nope. I've got in my blog thing, in fact, I would encourage you to read it. Um, I've got five articles. It's called Replacement Theology about how this is not true. Right here, it's one proof. Forever. In my English language, you can go to the Hebrew, forever. It goes on, I'll make your descendants as, as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered, arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I'll give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Point is this. Genesis 12, we know that God promised Abraham that he'd have descendants. There's nothing there that says anything about land. Here he says, here's the land part. If you can have descendants and a lot of descendants, then you need a place to live. Here's the land. This is it geographically. We know where it's at today. This is 4,000 years removed from Abraham. It's still true. This is their land. That's what we understand. It's for him, for his descendants. And so it's an amazing promise right here, this expansion of the Genesis 12 promise. And so in the Old Testament times, Israel, they lived in this land. We know that. And then they took a break, you know, from about 70 AD to about 1880s. Now they're back in the land. We know that too. God doesn't go back in his promises, okay? He doesn't go back in his promises. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. One to three. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. He goes on to say, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So, so God tells him here that he'll protect him. But here, Abram's question, hey, you know, and he, he's a godly man, but he just has a question. I don't have any children. He's getting along in years. I don't have any children. What's going on here? And God says, It's not this Eliezer. It's not your servant. That's not who it is. I'm going to give you a child. This child will be your heir. That's what he's saying. For verse 5. He took him outside. Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to them, show us how your descendants be. Now, scientists say visibly you can see about, you know, if you have really, really good eyes and it's, you know, up in the Rocky Mountains someplace, you know, and really good eyes, you can see count 9,000 stars. That's what they say. But it's more than that. That's just an illustration. That is a lot. A lot of descendants. That's the point. You'll be blessed. Many descendants. you become a great nation. Not just a nation, but a great nation. Verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned to him as righteousness. That is, Abraham believes God. He has faith in God, that God will be true to his word and come through on his promise. That's what we see there. And God sees that Abraham has faith and reckons it to him as righteousness. Now, this is a key verse, and it's, it's used in the New Testament to speak about the gospel. And sometimes you look at verses, well, I don't see anything about the, sharing the gospel there. God uses truth to expand in truth other places. But, but the thing is, and you know, the question is, when did Abraham really get saved? 
Was it right here? It might have been. Maybe it's before this time. In some ways, I might think that it's before this time. But the point is, is Abraham was saved by faith. That's what we do know for sure. And it says God reckoned it to him as righteousness, that he was a blameless and holy man. He was a child of God. That's what we see here. So he was saved by his faith. He was forgiven, became a child of God. Now, Xanon, we asked actually when that happened. I don't know. I'm not going to try to guess. We know the verses of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by faith, and, and that's what we see. Because of his faith, Abraham then is blessed spiritually and is also blessed uh, physically. Now we continue on, 6 to 8, verse 7 then. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess it. He said, O Lord... God, how may I know that I will possess the land? And so he believes God and has faith in God, and, 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 but, but now he wonders, I need some assurance. Give me some assurance that this is true. And, and so God does. Genesis 15, 9 through 12. He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each a half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness came upon him. So what's going on? is now is the confirmation of this covenant. All that he had said to him so far, Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, now you got this covenant. It's an official promise to Abraham. And so what happens? He puts Abraham in a deep sleep. And, and so sleep that what in effect happens, and this is important to understand, this covenant, this promise, was what you call a unilateral. You know, unilateral means, right? One-sided. One-sided. Abraham couldn't do anything about it. It's what God did for Abraham and mankind. It sure wasn't what Abraham did for us. It's what God did. It was unilateral, also unconditional. Unilateral, one-sided, unconditional, no conditions. Nothing you got to do. I'm just going to give it to you. The only thing you did is believe that I, that I was going to give it to you, and that's it. We continue on, verses 13 to 16. God said to Abraham, Know that for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, there where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they'll return here, for the iniquities of the Amorite is not yet complete. A lot said there. Let me sum it up. He said they'd be strangers in this land for 400 years. He might have got sad then, thinking, man, I thought we were going to happen right now. And, and, as, and as you all know, as, as people, we tend to want things quickly. My wife knows that sometimes I can be in a hurry. She tells me to slow down. We need to wait on God. His timing is not our timing. Always remember that. Always remember, wait on God for his timing. Always, always his timing. 400 years here. Wow. And we know the story. We know the story in Egypt for 400 years, and it wasn't a fun time. But that's where they're born as a nation. It says that God would judge them. We know the story. God judged Egypt. We know how it ended, right? Remember all those plagues in Exodus? It was pretty sad. But it was righteous. It was holy of God to judge them that way. He judged them. But then verse 16 said he judged the Amorites in the future, in the fourth generation back then. And that would be about 400 years. 
But back then, you see, you know, Abraham lived, what, 125, 30? People were living around 100 years or so. So 100 times 4, it's about four generations. That's what he was saying. In the fourth generation, um, then you're going to be able to go in there. But he says something very instructive. God wouldn't judge them until their sin was complete. Verse 16. Fourth generation. So the Jews going into the promised land relates to the sin of the Amorites. Two things going on there. And so you have to understand, as God's working for you, he's also working some other place. Sometimes, why isn't this happening yet, God? Why? Well, you're part of the big picture. And there's other pieces of the puzzle that he's putting in place that are important. He's not just making you wait. It's part of the big picture, okay? You have to always see that and understand that. But let me just give an illustration. Fruit. You don't pick fruit until it's ripe unless you're some, you know, group fruit grower and you're picking a little too early and you have a special way of, you know, getting it ripe. But in general, as a person, you go out picking fruit, you pick fruit that's right. Isn't that the way it goes? And God doesn't judge this nation, the Amorites, which is also synonymous well, in some ways with the Canaanites because the Canaanites were there, so the Amorites, the Amorites was one of the groups of people, not a lot of different smaller tribes, so to speak. So their sin had to be ripe, meaning God wasn't going to judge it until their sin was ripe. So we see two kinds of judging. God judged the Egyptians for their sin so that Israelites could leave, and God judged the Amorites for their sin so the Israelites could enter into the land. Isn't that interesting? And one more thing to understand. How long were the Jews in the desert? And what's one of the reasons? The sin of the Amorites wasn't yet complete. You see? Why are we sitting here for 40 years? Well, their sin's not yet complete. That's what's going on. So we have to understand. Throughout history, we see that God is very, very patient with people and their sin, very, very patient with nations and their sin, really patient. You know that personally. You see some people that are sinners. Man, God, you're really patient with the person who's a sinner. Whoa. You're patient with that country that's really sinning in bad ways. You're patient. You're patient. He is. He is. At the right time, when their sin is ripe, God will judge them. And we don't know when that is. I talked to you about this a few weeks ago. In our own country, we're being judged. A lot of stuff's going on last year, two or three or four. Why? And I've mentioned some of these. I'm not going to go through it all again. Lots of stuff. Why? I can give you ten different things. Why? God is presently judging us. This relates to Romans 1, verses 20 through 28. You'll read it there. So we're being judged. But our sin isn't completely right. And he says, man, I don't want to hear that one, Steve. What do I mean? I mean, we're getting worse and worse as a country. That's right. I mean, mean, can't you see it? Can't you see it? I I told you, verse 28 of Romans 1, it says they're depraved. This means they're not thinking right. Isaiah 520, they're calling evil good and good is evil. I, I just can't believe. And I, I was talking to somebody else, this is a pastor friend over on the other side of Tampa, and Mike Sprott, some of you might know him, but but we were talking about the world and and I mentioned the word crazy. He says, Yeah, me and my wife, we say the same word. We say it all the time. Man, things are crazy. Things are crazy. It really is. Things are crazy. Because of people's sin. They become depraved. They do things. So if you have you wonder what's going on? People are sinning more and more. As it says in 2 Timothy 3, they're going from bad to worse. So, But we'll be judged sooner or later. And it has to be because it relates to we've got to be out of power before the Antichrist comes, whether it comes in the next five years or the next 50, we don't know. We have to be. So we'll be out of here. And I'm not saying we'll be not a nation at all, all annihilated, not that at all. i just say we'll be diminished in power. What that looks like, I don't know. Okay, But we can see it happening. I mean, it's already had this whole past year. People looking at what's wrong with the United States. 
I mean, they're doing that. What's wrong with this country? It's, it's, it's happening. Anyway, Genesis 17. Let's go to the last little section here. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless. I will establish my covenant between you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. Again, the covenant. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. you. You can't miss it. So the people that say uh, it ended about 2,000 years ago because they killed Christ, well, they just have to take this word everlasting out in that other verse forever in Genesis 13. You can't do that. You can't play with God's word that way. And there's many others. In fact, the word forever appears in what Steve read in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. Same thing. It's a forever covenant. So, so you see what God is doing. This is so important. He keeps repeating it and repeating it, and you read your Old Testament, you hear it again and again and again. You, you can't miss it. It is so, so true. So he tells Abraham that he'll multiply him, give him many descendants, and make him a great nation. He tells him that, that, that he'll make him that exceedingly fruitful, which again is referring to things physically and to things spiritually. It's a spiritual blessing that God would, would give him a spiritual descendants. And you and I here as believers in Christ, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. That is the truth. He is your spiritual father. He's your father in the faith. That's what's going on here. All those who have faith in God are made righteous by God then are descendants of Abraham. God then commands Abraham to be circumcised as a sign of his relationship with God and a sign of the fact then that he has faith in God. Turn to Romans 4. We're just going to look at a couple verses here as we close in this portion of our time. And I, I'm just going to look at this very quickly. But Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3 are the two key chapters that talk about Abraham from a spiritual perspective, okay, and how he then is our father in the faith. Look at verses 1 to 5 of Romans chapter 4, or just I can, I'll just follow along as I read. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. That verse from Genesis 15, verse 6. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as Righteousness. This talks about the faith of Abraham, that he was righteous before God because of what God did for him. Romans 4, 9 to 13. Is this blessing then on the, of the, on the uncircumcised or on the uncircumcised also, where we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness? How then was it credited while he was uncircumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are, the, are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Again, what's he saying? Is circumcised just a sign? 
But you're not to be saved because of some physical act. It's because of what God does for you. It's by your faith. Go to, I'm not going to read it all here, but there's much more in, in Galatians 3. You can read this sometime about how, how Abraham is your father in a spiritual way, and it relates to faith, okay? That's what we're saying. So we are ones who are sons of God, but also then descendants of Abraham. Next week, we're going to finish our section on this Genesis, and I'm going to expand it to the whole Bible. So next week's an overview of how God works with the Jewish people Look at the Old Testament, now into these days, and into the future. It's a big picture message is what it is next week. And you need to see this. You need to hear this. How does what we talk about here in Genesis relate to all the Old Testament and our time and the ages to come? And it does. And you need to see this. It's really important. That's why I, I, I feel so blessed that, that, that we live at this time. 4,000 years after Abraham, we can now see what's going on. I mean, it would have been fine to be back then, but I love living now. That we can see back, we have the whole Bible, we have all this history, we have the Old Testament age, we have the New Testament, this church age, and now we live in the end times. We live in these end times. So let's pray, then we'll have communion. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your great love for us. God, thank you for this truth here that you give us that's expanded on all over the Bible. What a blessing to be your child by faith. Uh, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. We know, Lord Jesus, that you died for us, that you rose again. Lord, that you chose us to be your children. We thank you for what you did again. And we we just thank you. What else can we say? To be a a child of God, to be one who's going to live forever and ever. I I listen to the stuff about this transhumanism and how these atheists out there, and and they're thinking of how to merge uh, machines with the mind, machines with the body. Because they don't believe in a future, so they want to make this body go on and on and on. Man, they sure don't understand the truth. We're going to die. But God, you're going to keep us going. Our soul, spirit, and eventually a glorified body. We thank you for that. Just thank you for each one here, their lives. Lead them, God. We talked about how you want to work through us and in us, uh, Lord, for in us and through us for your glory. I pray that you be using them, teaching them, God, helping them using them as, as you want. Give them the confidence. Give them the courage. Help them to be excited about how they can serve you. And, and this sometimes takes time. I know even here, I'm 68, about 68. Lord, and what I'm doing relates to a whole life, being a Christian for about 50 years. It's, it, it's cumulative. It builds. We thank you for this. Help us to be ones who learn to persevere, to take day by day, to keep going, knowing that you want to use us all along the way. And for our entire life, we bless you for that. So, Help us, Lord, pray for, uh, this is uh, Rob's uh, neighbor, Carmen, his mother who's very ill. Uh, I think she's not, she's probably going to die. So I pray for Carmen. I pray for the mom. not sure whether they're at spiritually, but they wanted prayer. So we pray for them. And others, Lord, in our church who couldn't be here today, we know there's some that are still out because of the COVID. Older people who are just concerned. I understand. There's still things happening. And even my friend Gary, who I want to pray for up in, in Minneapolis, he's, he's really been sick, him and his wife, for about over two weeks now. It's been really, really tough. So I just gave, pray you give me your grace and peace today. And many others, Lord. Again, whether it's our church or all over, just, just help us, teach us. Pray for Bethel. Thank you so much for them that they're here and they love you, Lord, and, and, and that we can work together. I just pray that you'd bless Raphael and, and all the leadership and all the members, Lord, for your purposes and glory. But thank you again now. We can have this time together, this communion time, we pray in Jesus' name.